Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. It's the Christmas season, right? Greatest story ever told, right? Only if it's told correctly. <laughs> Come on. Only if it's told correctly, right? I-, I want you to think about it for a moment because, you know, sometimes we miss what it actually is all about. And uh, I want to hopefully through the next several weeks take us on a journey. And I, I have a sermon series that God put on my heart to do that we're calling it, the title of the sermon series is called The Answer. It's our Christmas sermon series. And it's not a, it's not a title to try to be fancy and cool and all that stuff because I'm just not that cool, all right? But it's really because God put it in my heart that we would understand how much God loves you, loves me, that he would send his son and that his son is the answer to everything that stood opposed to you and I. I, I, I'm looking for you to understand how radical God was when it came to loving you. And what I hope it elicits out of us is a radical response in return. And I gotta tell you, sometimes the church world drives me crazy. Like we sometimes come in as, as, as like, 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 like we got God on the clock. Can we get God off the clock? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, come on. Can we get God off the clock this morning? And I already know that already this morning people are looking at their clock and they're saying, oh my goodness, he took a delay here, he took a delay there. Last week he took 15 minutes in the middle of service and he gave away cheesecake. <laughs> yes, I did, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Because you know why? Because the Bible tells me what David did. David delighted in the saints. David took delight in the saints of God. Do you know how much I delight in you? Do you know how much I have fun actually just going, walking around, harassing people, meeting people, seeing people? I want you to have that same thing. How many know it's kind of fun to do some stuff like that? And it always amazes me when it bends people out of shape. (laughs) Come on, it's all right. We're 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 the church of God, man. Amen? We should enjoy each other. We should come in. Man, this is awesome. Let's enjoy God. Let's enjoy each other. But I want to talk to you this morning about this sermon that, that God put in my heart about that, the answer. Because you've got to understand something. That what we're celebrating in Christmas is God who provided Jesus as an answer for the world. As an answer for you and I. We celebrate it. We're celebrating the continuation of God's plan to provide an answer for humanity's need. God himself provided an answer for man's sin, death, his enemy, and life for all time. How many know that you, you can look in one portion of Scripture and you can find that God had a planned answer for your sin. He had a planned answer for the enemy. He had a planned answer for death. And he has a planned answer for life. All right? And I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Today, I want to talk to you about God's answer to sin. God's answer to sin. How many know Jesus was God's answer to sin? All right, I want you to go with me, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we'll begin there. I'll, okay, for those of you, I'm going to set a timer for myself. How many, how many think I'm going to, okay, I'll be all right? Oh, no, I'm going to. I'm going to set a timer, okay? Here we go. Two hours and 47 minutes. That ought to be sufficient. Okay, okay, I'll shorten it. Two hours and 45 minutes, all right? Okay, some of you are just like, you're, you're just in fear already. I can see it. But let me talk to you. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a, you know the story, but for those of you who don't, or just a little reminder, let me lead up to chapter 3. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we see the God of creation. 
He creates the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the heavens. He creates it all, right? And then he says, let's make man. How are we going to make man? Let's make him in our image. Let's make him in our image. You see, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, right, George? The heavens, the stars, they'll tell us the story of God, and they'll declare the glory of God. But how many know that it's only man that reflects the image of God? Think about that. That we're the only creation. All of creation can speak of the glory of God. But man was created in the image of God. And he told the man, he said, I want you to fill the earth and I want you to subdue it. And then he blessed them, which was empowering them and enabling. And he said, to roll over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living creature. And then he said, I'm going to give you every seed-bearing plant for food. All right? and, he, and he also put his breath in them. He put them in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And he said to them, now, from any tree, everybody say any. Wow, that's a good thing, right? From any tree in the garden, you can eat from and live. I mean, I think that sounds like a good deal. Except for one. Except for one. He said, don't you eat from the tree, then always you're good and evil. Because in the day that you eat of it, you're going to surely die. So everything they needed to fulfill God's plan for their life was at their disposal. Everything for the future was at their disposal. Everything was theirs. But then God put one thing in front of them. God put a prohibition in their life. Don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, let's pick it up. Verse, three, verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you'll die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely won't die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband who was with her. Isn't it an amazing scripture when you read this? God says, any tree you want, any one thing you want to eat from, eat from it and live and enjoy it. Roll, have dominion. It's all yours. Except one, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one isn't for you. That one will harm you. That one will kill you. That one you don't need. God laid out a prohibited place with some forbidden fruit. Now think about this. How many times do you know there's something you shouldn't have, but you're just wondering what it would like to have it? Nobody. All right, different, different message. Go to the one about the perfect people. Okay. All right. You started it when you were a child. If mom said no, you wanted to know why no, and you said yes. If she said don't touch, what'd you do? I want to touch. All right? Uh, come on. It's something about us, right? What am I missing? You must be keeping something from me. All right? Listen to me for just a moment. God set up a prohibition. He set up something that was forbidden. But you got to understand something. The forbidden things of God are there to add to our pleasure, not take away from our pleasure. The problem is we come with a negative connotation that God must be keeping something from us. Yes, he's keeping something from us. Pain. Heartache. Misery. Failure. 
Yeah, he's keeping things from us. The forbidden things are there for your protection, not to limit our pleasure. Why do you tell your children not to do certain things? Because you don't want them to do the certain things? Just because you don't want them to do it? Because you're being mean? No, because you want them not to do it, thereby incur blessing in their life thereby incur protection in their life. There's a reason that you tell them not to do certain things. There's this reason where you tell them, listen, don't get in the car and drink and drive. That's kind of dramatic, but how about, oh, come on, right? You're not being mean. It's not to keep you from something. It's to protect you. But where does the devil meet us? Isn't it interesting how the enemy will meet us at the place of prohibition? He'll meet us at the place of the forbidden fruit. He met Eve at the tree. He meets David on the rooftop when he's looking at the forbidden woman. He meets us at that forbidden place, right? The prohibition of God is never more alluring than the provision of God. We'll get back to that in a moment. His, His prohibition was not to limit their joy but to enhance their joy. Listen to me this morning. So often I hear people say, well, why did God tell them not to even that tree? Why did that? Listen to me. Because he was maximizing the joy and the pleasure that they would have in the garden if they would not take from that one tree. But the problem is we think God's keeping something good from us when he prohibits something from us. His prohibition was not to hold back from them, but rather to give them more. It wasn't to keep them from a lie or life. It was to ensure truth, and it was to ensure life to them. So the question becomes, here's what happens. So now you have humanity, which has everything they need at their disposal. Any tree is at their disposal. Power is theirs. Dominion is theirs. Rule is theirs. Everything is theirs. Fellowship with God. Communion with God. Everything is theirs except one thing. And now they're at that one thing, at that place. And that tempter now comes and says, come on, eat from the tree. Come on. You know you want to. Come on, what would it be like? And all of a sudden he gets you to begin to fantasize over the forbidden fruit. How many know it's a bit dangerous thing when you're fantasizing over the forbidden? And so now we're at a crossroad of decisions. What they desired was in front of them. What they would desired was forbidden by God. Did you ever desire something that was forbidden by God? <laughs> I'm going to say there's more of you than <laughs> said so. What God told them would harm them laid in front of them and was enticing them. And now the enemy of their souls comes to them and tries to get them to doubt God's word. Did God really say Are you sure you heard him right? Are you sure that's what the Bible really means? That that whole no stealing thing, do you really think that's what God really meant? I mean, don't you love it when we say this about the Bible? Well, to me, it means. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It's what God meant when he wrote it. It's not a book of interpretations. It's a book that God wrote, and he knows the interpretation. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us, and we come away with truth, and truth is the very thing that then sets us free. But anyhow, another story, another day. So he gets them to doubt. And then he says, gets them to question God's motives. God doesn't want you to be like him. God's keeping something good from you. 
God's keeping something better from you. You ever question God's motives? Anybody here ever question God's motives? I have. Like, God, what's up with that, man? And then he tries to get them to deny the outcome of their actions. You won't die. You won't die. The moment that you begin to doubt God's word, the moment that you come to a place where you question his motives and now you deny the outcome, how many of those sin is right there ready to grab you? They're at a crossroad. And here was the question that they had to answer. Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to keep faith with God or not? You see, because at this point, God had made a covenant with them. And there was a covenant that they were walking with. And now they're at this tree where they can choose to rebel against God, disobey God, or they can keep and trust him. Because what happens is the moment that we sin in this occasion and other occasions, what happens is sin causes us to break faith with God. Sin causes us to break faith with God. What I'm saying is I got to do this because I don't trust you. I got to do this because I don't believe what you say is true. That this tree must have something that I need that's better than what you told me about. Therefore, I'm going to disobey. I'm going to break faith with you. You can think of own examples in your own life at times that you have said, you know what, God, I'm not sure I can trust you. Let, let me let, let make this, uh, I don't want to harp, I don't want to make it about money, but how many know sometimes we say that we don't, we don't, we break faith with God when we don't tithe. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, either believe it or not. Amen? But when we don't tithe, and we fail to tithe, and we fail to give like God tells us to give in the Scriptures, we're breaking faith with God. Because we're not trusting that God will meet our needs. We're not trusting that God will provide for our needs. Therefore, I've got to break his law in order to have my needs met. I'm breaking faith with God. But I can take that a number of ways. God, I'm going to cheat on my wife because I don't trust that our marriage can get better. I'm going to divorce my wife because I don't trust you that with the two of us become more like Christ that our marriage can get as one. Because how many know it takes two people becoming Christ-like to become one? You can't have one here and one here. It takes two people because how many know we both bring our junk to that equation? They're at a crossroads. Would they keep faith with God? Would they break faith with God? Temptation is the devil's attempt to get us to break faith in God. Come on, come on. You really, come on. Judas, 30 pieces of silver, man. Hmm? Think of all the illustrations that you could use this morning of when the enemy is tempted. Come on, David. David, you, it's all right. It doesn't matter that it's Uriah's wife. You're the king, man. You deserve it. Think about all the occasions in our own lives where the enemy tempts us and that temptation is to get us. Forget about doing the certain act. The temptation is to get us to break faith in God. I lie because if, if I don't lie, I can't tell the truth because if I tell the truth, God won't have my back. Therefore, I'll try to lie my way out of this. How many ever done that one? <laughs> As they sit here and lie to me this morning, two people went, They're at a crossroads. Sin results when the prohibition becomes more desirable than the provision. 
everything they had was theirs. Everything. God gave them everything except one thing. And that one thing became more alluring than what they were given. Because we always know the grass is greener on the other side. Think about it. What is this? And, and sin, I'm defining it to you this morning. I'm going to define sin this morning as breaking faith with God. A lot of people define it as missing the mark, an offense against God, something we've done wrong. And I get all that. But the fact of the matter is, the reason I do that is because I come to a place where I, my flesh overcomes me, my desires overcome me, and I break faith with God. What is it that causes these things to happen? You know, it's the temptation that causes us to say, I can't trust you, God, in this moment. And the moment, and the moment they ate, the moment they participated, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Isn't it amazing? Listen to me for just a moment. What happened? Three things, enlightenment, shame, and guilt. Fear of God came in. An attempt to come in. God, God created them. Watch how God created them. God created them naked, unashamed, and fearless. Naked, unashamed, and fearless. I've got to tell you, I'm glad we're not running around naked today, though. I've got to tell you. But sin brought them to a place where now they were ashamed, guilty, and aware they were naked. Sin brought them knowledge of what they never knew. And it never made their life better. How many, how many, let me ask you a question this morning. Are there any of you in here this morning that could say with me that there's sometimes sin that you did that you wish you wouldn't have did so you don't know now what you know? Don't you wish there's some things you didn't know that you came to know because of walking in sin? Yeah, yeah. The man was created to live forever. We weren't supposed to die. What does man do? Man says, oh my gosh, I'm naked. Now, now he has something he never had before, an awareness of this nakedness. And now he's, he's looking at the woman, the woman's looking at him, man, we gotta cover ourselves. And then he said, we gotta hide from God. We gotta hide from God. We're gonna hide ourselves from each other, but now I gotta hide from God. This is amazing how sin will cause people to hide from each other in the body of Christ. But then sin also causes us to want to hide from God. And this is what happens. And they try to provide their own covering for sin. And now God, God looks at them, and we're going to come back for just a moment. So God comes to them, and, and, and he says to them, you know, he's looking at them, what have you done? Well, we were naked, so we hid. Who told you you were naked? You didn't know that. And we know what happens. He brings a curse on a woman, a curse on a man, a curse on the ground, a curse on the, the serpent. And he says, at the end of this chapter, verse 22, then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. He cannot be allowed to live forever with the knowledge of evil. I mean, we're not, we don't have the capacity to handle evil. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the garden 
to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So get this. Now, here he is. This is, this is what sin did. Brought them to a place of this awareness, this shame, this guilt, and now there was the, the, the consequence of it, which was being driven from the garden, now to die. Now to die. But here's the good news. You see, just prior to that, just prior to that, remember this scripture right here, right? When he spoke, when he spoke to the serpent, he says what? I've lost my place. Let me read it to you. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In that verse... God prophesied and promised that there would be an answer to the problem. There would be an answer to sin. There would be an answer to the serpent. There would be an answer to death. And his name is Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. The answer that God promised in Genesis chapter 3. He would not leave man without an answer of this moment. He would not leave man forever in this helpless estate. He would not leave man forever to live under the bondage of sin and the serpent. He would not leave this man, this to be man's defining moment. Because how many know Calvary is man's defining moment? He just wouldn't. It would not be the end. He prophesied and he promised an answer. And I got to get you this morning to understand at Christmas, we are celebrating Jesus, who is the answer from God for all of your needs, the needs of sin, the needs of your life, everything about you. He promised an answer in Jesus. You see, and if you follow the scriptures, you go throughout the life of Israel and you go throughout the Bible, you will see where God always gives types and shadows of the answer to come, right? In, in the garden, he shed blood and he covered them with a garment. He drove them out. Then when they're in Egypt, he gives them a Passover lamb that would rescue them from the bondage of Egypt, all right? And all throughout the scripture, you go to Leviticus and you go to Numbers, you go to the Old Testament, you see a sacrificial system where lambs would be killed and bulls would be killed and doves would be killed. And the shedding of blood always pointing to what? The prophesied answer that would be Jesus one day. That, that in this, there would be the great day of atonement. And all these were a reminder that there's a coming promised day where the Messiah, the Redeemer, would be on the scene. Because of the feast, the sacrifices, and the offerings, the Old Testament man can meet the requirements of this holy God whom we had sinned against. Yet, here's the thing, we were still powerless against sin. We could atone for it, it could be covered, but we had no power over it. We were unable to, unable, we were unable to stop. God would cover it, and yet we still would sin. And yet sin still remained victorious. Humanity could not defeat sin. Sin would always stand between us and God. Sin was covered, but not defeated. So consequently, how many know that leaves us in a defeated state? What do we do in a defeated state? Let's find some ways to try to provide for ourselves, right? For centuries, man has attempted to provide an answer for his own sin. Man has tried for centuries to atone for his sin by his own actions. For Adam, it was a loincloth and hiding. For others, like for the Pharisees, let's add to the law of God. Let's add a bunch of legalistic mumbo-jumbo that still exists in the church today. 
I am so sick and tired of some people's legalism that means nothing in the sight of God. We focus on buildings. We focus on what Bible versions we're going to use. We focus on this doctrine or that doctrine or that dogma or this dogma. We focus on clothing. We focus on all this garbage, all to make us feel better about us. When the fact of the matter is, it's Jesus that makes me feel better about me. You think about some of the stuff. We, we come up with a legalistic approach to our relationship with God, and it leaves us wanting. Today, we come to God with this quid pro quo approach to God. I come, you do this. All right? Oh, man, I'm on the yo-yo. I'm in today. I'm, the, I'm up today. I'm down today. I'm up today. I'm down today. How many ever play that with God? How many ever play this with God? Oh, I'm going to make a deposit today. Oh, that was a withdrawal. Deposit, withdrawal. All of a sudden, I'm bankrupt because I did too many sins. Come on. Anybody play that game? Add, subtract. Add, subtract. Oh, I got to get back to church. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you something this morning? Oh, boy. Now, let me tell you something. You need to come to church. And I do not believe for a moment we should forsake the gathering of one another because there's just strength in numbers. We're better together. But let me say this. God is no more happy with you today by being here than if you weren't. Let me put it this way. He loves you no more today because you're here than if you weren't. But actually, it should be the love of God that compels you to come worship with the saints. Stop playing this stupid game. Either Jesus is enough or he's not enough. We'll come back to that. You see, because we're celebrating this time of year where the answer, the prophesied answer in Isaiah, remember what God said in Isaiah? The Lord's going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. How many know that's what Jesus did? Uh, or how many, chapter 9 of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of a government, there'll be no end. Or how about this one? Whenever the angel shows up to this Mary. By the way, side note, I saw the movie Star last night. Anybody see Star yet at the movies? Cute as a button. Okay, it's biblical yet not biblical. I just want you to know that, all right? It's the story of the birth of Jesus told by the donkey. <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> I, 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 me and Liam and me and Penny, Liam and Carson, we just loved every minute of that movie. The donkey's name was Boaz and the sheep's name was Ruth. Go figure. <laughs> Great. And don't forget Dave the dove. You want to take your kids to a cute movie? That's a cute movie. Now all of a sudden, yeah, I don't go to movie theaters. I don't care. I went. And God still loves me. And Jesus didn't come while I was in there. And had Jesus came when he was, I was in there, I'd have went with him. Let me just disarm you today. Let me just tell you what to do with your legalistic garbage. Take it home with you. All right. She, angel comes to Mary. What does, she say? what does he say to Mary? He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great 
and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Oh, how about the angel when he showed up to Joseph? Because Joseph was like, man, I got a problem on my hands. I've got a pregnant wife and I ain't married to her yet. What do I do? I'm going to get rid of her. And the angel comes and says, what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Hmm? Tell what? He's going to take away the sins. Take away the sins. Think about this. And he shows up to these shepherds in a field. And he says, what? Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is for all the people. You see, because you've got to understand something. We celebrate as Christmas is the moment where God has commenced his plan when he brought his answer into the world. That now Emmanuel was with us. The promised seed of Genesis 3 was now on the scene. And now he came with an answer. Because I want you to know something. There's several things he had an answer for. First of all, Jesus was the answer. All right? Jesus was the answer. The sinless one was the answer for the sinful one. Think about this for a moment. Jesus, the sinful, the sinless one, was the answer for the sinful one. How many know who I mean by the sinful one? Talking about devil. I got an answer for you, pal. You see, because you can understand something, it was the devil and the serpent that came to Eve, came to Adam, came to them in the garden, began to get them to question God, tempted them. God didn't say this, did he? God doesn't love you. God's, God doesn't want you to be like him. He's withholding something good from you. Here's what we know about the devil. Jesus said this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. He spoke that to the Pharisees. First John says what? The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from when? The beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Come on, how many know the one who had crushed the head was on the scene? First John 3, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Listen to me. Now Jesus comes on the scene. He's born. He's born of the virgin that Isaiah prophesied. The answer is on the scene. And now the Bible tells us he comes and, and he's baptized in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And the next thing we find him in the wilderness. And when he's in the wilderness, guess who shows up? Yeah, the tempter. The same one that was in the garden. The same one who came to man and said, hey, come on. Don't worry. You be like God. You do what you want, when you want, how you want. Do what you want, when you want, how you want. And we know he was tempted three different ways in the wilderness. And we know that he overcame that temptation. The sinless one in the wilderness overcame the sinful one of the garden. Come on, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? He did what man couldn't do. In the wilderness, he did what Adam couldn't do in the garden. In the wilderness, he did what you couldn't do last week, what you couldn't do three months ago, what you couldn't do three years ago. How many know what I'm talking about? He was God's answer for our sin because he did not fall to temptation in the wilderness. He was God's answer to a holy God because of his victory in the wilderness, his victory in the garden of Gethsemane. Because how many know that was another temptation and another trial to pick another way? And yet, he ended up on Calvary where that, that, that 
was won. That victory was won. When Jesus overcame the enemy in the wilderness, he was providing an answer for the power of sin. When he lived a sinless life, he was defeating the power of sin. How many of you know today that you and I do not have to sin? We don't have to. It has no power over us. Jesus was the answer to the sinful one of the garden. Jesus, the sinless one. Because how many know what made him the answer to sin was the fact that he was sinless? If he had sinned, how many know he wouldn't have been this answer? The sinless one is the answer for sinful ones. That would be us. The sinless one. The sinless one is the answer for sinful ones. Remember what he said to Joseph? Let me read you that scripture. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Romans chapter 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Jesus was the answer for sinful people. The sinless one. Now think about this. I just want you to hear. Think about this in the scripture. When, when you see Jesus in operation, when you see him walking through life, when you see him in the gospels, here he came. Jesus was the answer to a lying, cheating tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, baby. They're going to be ticked, but I'm coming. The church folks are going to be ticked, but I'm coming to your house. They ain't going to like it, but I don't give a rip. Because I'm your answer. Next thing you know, you see a man who was a lying, cheated, hated tax collector, giving away half his mouth and paying back four times what he stole. Hmm? Why? Because it had an encounter with Jesus. You don't need more church. You need an encounter with Jesus. And once you have an encounter with Jesus, it'll change how you go to church. Your problem isn't church. Your problem isn't the pastor. Your problem isn't the church is too long. Your, ch- your problem is you don't know. You, you ain't celebrating Jesus. Oh, man, pastor, where'd that come from? I don't know. Just telling you. Church ain't the problem. I need an encounter with the answer. Jesus was the answer to a woman caught in adultery. Caught sleeping with another man. Going to stone him. Going to stone her. Try to trap him. We know the story. Let's stone her. He said, not on my watch. I'm the answer. Your stones aren't the answer. I'm the answer. I wrote it in the ground. Read it and weep. Read it and weep. Now, listen to me. Don't think he said it was okay. He didn't say it was okay. He looked at her later and said, go leave your life of sin. The answer doesn't give you permission to go on sinning. The answer pays for your sin and says, knock it off. That's what it says. Jesus was the answer for this woman at the well. Hey, go get your husband. I don't got one. That's right, because you got five, and the one you're living with now ain't your husband either. And then she became what? The witness to a city because she encountered the answer. Oh, there's the thief on the cross. 
How many know he didn't have time to perfect his righteousness? Hmm? He's not done anything. Today you'll be with me in paradise. How about fallen Peter? I don't know who he is. How about the woman with the alabaster jar? You know, the one that the Pharisee said, if he only knew who was touching him. And she's a sinner. I love the reaction of religious people. Oh, look at them. They're jumping around like fools. That's what Michael said about David, too. Because those, those who ain't got it resent those who do. David had a relationship with his God, and he danced with all of his might before the Lord. And you got a spiritless woman looking at him saying, ah, that ain't right. Come on, come on. The fact is that Jesus was the answer for all humanity. How many know he was the answer for Judas? How many know had Judas not gone out and hung himself and he'd have came to the saving knowledge of Jesus, how many know Jesus would have forgiven him because Jesus even paid for Judas on Calvary's cross? I wish that Judas would have waited a few hours before killing himself so that he could have encountered the grace that came from Calvary. Think about it. The fact is that he was the answer to all humanity. But the problem is, unless you know the answer, you don't benefit from the answer. The same answer was presented to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Tax collectors saw him as the answer. Zacchaeus saw him as the answer. The woman at the well saw him as the answer. The thieves, but the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the priests, and the kings saw him as a threat. How many know it's hard to receive something as the answer when you, receive the, when you perceive the answer to be a threat to your life? Yet not all benefited from the answer because in the midst they couldn't put their faith in the answer. As a matter of fact, their rejection of him as the answer was an affront to God. Their religious exercises became an affront to God. Their, their religious exercises that they thought were getting them in right with God became an offense to God. The sinless one was the answer for sinful ones. But what we want to do is we want to pay for ourselves. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? Right? I, I want to I I pay for this. The problem with that is self-payment for sin is my denial of Jesus as the answer for my sin. If I got to pay for it, I'm denying that his payment was enough. Oh, and what we like to do is, be, oh, yes, Jesus, this, but I want to add this to it. Oh, no, 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 you ain't adding nothing to it. It's not Jesus plus your dress code. It's not Jesus plus your giving. It's not Jesus plus your church attendance. It's not Jesus plus your suit or your dress. It's not Jesus plus where you go, where you don't go. It's not Jesus plus. How many know it's Jesus, period? It's not Jesus with a dash. It's not Jesus with a comma. Don't want to go too far. I'll mess up the whole grammar thing. It's Jesus with a period. Jesus, the sinless one, was the answer to the sinful one. He was the answer for the sinful ones. And the sinless one is the answer to the holy one. How many know the offense of sin was to God, not the devil? Sometimes people have this notion that it was, we were making payment for the de- to the devil. 
No, 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 no. The payment was to God. The offense was against God. Think about this. Adam made an attempt to hide from God. Adam made an attempt to hide his nakedness from God. Many of the traditions of men in regards to religion are nothing more than man's feeble attempt to hide their nakedness from God. That we want to somehow pay for our sin and we want to, we want to have, provide an answer for God. Adam tried to disengage when God was looking to engage. Adam tried to hide when God was looking for them. All right? The problem is that what's happening here is I have Jesus, the sinless one, who's now walking into the presence of the Holy One, who took his blood, took his blood and was shed for, for, uh, at Calvary's cross, took it into the Holy of Holies, laid it upon the mercy seat. It rose as an acceptable offering to God, who's the Holy One. And how many know from that moment on, you and I had the possibility to be forgiven of our sins forever? Because it was paid and it was answered to the Holy One. See, because here's the problem. Sinful man can't pay for sinful man. I got nothing to pay with. I can't come to a holy God and say, oh, here you go. I got this for you. Here's the answer to my sin. I haven't got an answer for my sin. If God says to me today, give me an answer for your sin, I'm pointing at Jesus. <laughs> What's the answer? I didn't say anything. I'm just pointing. I don't want to mess it up. Hmm? But the funny thing is God, the Holy One, is the one who provided the payment that would satisfy the Holy One. Isn't it great that God chose to do that? There was a story of a young Russian who was a close friend of Tsar Nicholas. He was caught stealing from the Tsar. He was the treasurer of a border fortress of the Russian army. He would manage the Tsar's money and dispense wages to the troops. But he began gambling and trying to cover his losses by borrowing from the army treasury. One day he heard that a government auditor was coming to examine the books. He sat down and added up what he had taken. It was a huge amount. He emptied out of his own resources, subtracted it from what should have been in the account, and noted a great discrepancy. Under the amount due, he wrote, a great debt, who can pay? He knew he couldn't, and he knew no one could help him. So he drew his revolver, and he decided to kill himself at midnight. So he waited till midnight to come. But while he was waiting, he fell asleep. And while he slept, Tsar Nicholas paid a surprise inspection visit. He saw the books, the despairing note, and the revolver. And he realized the young man had betrayed his trust. But rather than arrest the young man, he had mercy on him. He stooped and he wrote something next to the man's note and quietly left. When the young man awoke, he again picked up the gun and was about to pull the trigger when he noticed something next to his note that said, his note said, a great debt, who can pay? And there was a single word wrote next to it that said, Nicholas. And the next morning, a bag of coins arrived from Nicholas that covered the exact amount owed. We sinned against a holy God. And we deserved death. And we had no answers. A great debt, who can pay? And God said, I can. God says, I can. I can pay it. When you can't, I'm your answer. I'm sending my son, who's the answer? 
because it's the sinless one who paid the price to the Holy One. You see, I'm about ready to close. That's the first one. We got to understand and we've got to focus. We've got to come away with, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I truly living my life as if Jesus was the answer? How many know we can say the right things but not really put it into practice? How many of you ever get stuck in religious trappings? Boy, people love religious trappings, don't they? Makes them feel gooder about, gooder, gooder, yeah, gooder. Makes them feel gooder, better about them. And then they got to bring you into it because now they feel better about you because you now look like them. I'd rather look like Jesus than them. We get stuck in religious trappings. But what happens is we live our life looking for answers outside of the one who is the answer. And we live discouraged, defeated, joyless, passionless. I want you to walk out of here this Christmas season with this thought. This year, I'm going to celebrate Jesus. I'm going to celebrate him knowing that he was God's answer for my sin. He was God's answer for the world. He was God's I'm not just celebrating and I'm not going to dumb it down to just a baby in a manger. No, 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 no. It was God incarnate, born in a manger so that he could live this world, walk a sinless life, pay a debt on Calvary's cross that you and I owed so that I could stand before God covered in a righteousness I could not pay for. That's what Christmas is about. Do all the other stuff you want to do. Make it, but don't you forget what it was about. It was God's answer that he promised in Genesis 3 that said he's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to crush that serpent's head. He was the answer for my sin. He's the answer to your sin. The problem is, sometimes we don't remember or know who the true answer is. It's the true answer that frees us from wrong answers. How many know what two plus two is? Okay, this side thinks I'm tricking them. It's four, right? You all know it's four. And if I sat here and tried to tell you it's 10, what would you tell me? Get out of your mind. You're wrong. The same thing happens in our walk with God. We have a lot of people telling us wrong things and wrong answers that deny the validity of the one who's the true answer. When you know the answer, you know the truth that sets you free. From sin, come on, listen to me. I'm gonna be very blunt this morning. God wants for some of us in this house today to leave that life of sin. He wants you to leave it, enough. Stop it. Just stop. It's an affront to God. And some of us are already going, okay, well, who's he mean? Let me look around. Oh, he means that person. I know what's going on in their life. Yeah, good. I hope he takes that log out of yours while you're doing it. 
just wants us to stop. That life of sin can be anything. It can be addiction. It can be adultery. It can be sleeping with somebody, living with somebody. It can be a number of things. It can be self-righteousness. It can be gossip. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm starting those church sins. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to label them all. I don't have to label them all. But what I want you to know is that this Christmas season, he is the answer to your past, present, and future sin. Some of us in this room, you still can't get over what you did 10 years ago. What you did 10 years ago, Jesus paid for 2,000 years ago. Accept it and move on. Take the payment and move on. Jesus is the answer for sin. When you know him as the answer, then freedom of sin is yours. When you know him as the answer, then freedom from legalism is yours. How many know you don't got to play that game anymore? I love when people bring me their religious garbage. I'm getting more. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. All right, let's go. I can take a hint. (laughs) There's three people back there. Troy, Will, and Craig. Hmm. Look at that. God, this is like the garden. They're all pointing at each other. This is This is great. God says, what happened here? And, 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 and Adam says, well, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. And, and the woman points at, 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 at the serpent. And, and God, everybody's getting blamed. They're back there going, <laughs> thanks for the illustration. God will rescue you from your sin too. The answer is Jesus. But the answer is only good if you know it. How many know when you take a final exam or you take a test, it's a good thing if you know the answers. Have you ever taken one you're going, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. I don't have a clue what the answer is. And then how many of you know that when you don't have a clue, you begin to put all the wrong answers down? Trying to build. At least maybe you could bluff your way through. Anybody ever ever bluffed their way through a term paper or something? Oh, I've done many of them. (laughs) You'd be surprised. The book report, you can write off a table of contents. (laughs) (laughs) but the one who truly knows the answers can always spot a bluff come on I want you to know this Christmas season I want you to focus on what it is that we celebrate God's answer in Jesus that Jesus was God's promised answer for your sin my sin and you got to, and listen to me, I'm done. Come on, Troy. 
Lynn's, somebody, whoever. Turn, leave the lights on, okay? The Pharisees and Peter, James, John, Matthew, Zacchaeus, adulterous woman, the one with the alabaster jar, all saw him, all encountered him. All of them. And to one group, he was the answer. And to the other group, he wasn't. He still was, but they could not receive him as the answer. And why? Because they could not put their faith in him. Because it is faith that truly maximizes him as the answer to your life. My question to you this morning is do you have your faith in the one who is the answer? Do you believe in the one that God sent? The one that we sing about, Christ's Redeemer, the one who purchased you, the one who redeems you, the one who paid the price, the answer that God provided. That's who we celebrate. That's who we worship. That's who we get excited about. Say, Pastor, why you get excited about Jesus? Because he paid my debt. He paid for my sin. Why would I not be excited? You want to see a parallel? I'll tell you what. Buy me a Corvette tomorrow and I'll get excited for you. But it won't be as excited as I get for Jesus. Come on. You buy me something, I might get excited. But I got to tell you something. We need to become excited about the one who became the answer to our sin. He's Christ's Redeemer. Christ Redeemer. God said, hey man, I'm driving you out of the garden. You can't eat from the tree of life anymore. You can't eat from that tree anymore. You can't. I can't allow you. You're gone. Out. Go. 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 And I got a cherubim there. And you can't can't find a way in. Come on. Come on. How many know Jesus is disarming the cherubim? And there's an invitation to come and eat. And there's an invitation. Okay, I'll stop preaching. Is that three or four? Praise God. Well, I want you to know seven's the number of perfection. It's burning in my heart. It's burning in my heart that you look to him as the true answer. It's burning in my heart. Your husband's not your answer. Your wife's not your answer. Your kids aren't your answer. Your money's not an answer. There is an answer. But he has a name. And his name is Jesus. So Father, this morning in this house, I want us to look at you and see what you did for us. When you looked at fallen, failed humanity and you said, here's the curse and here's the effects of it and here's what comes with it. But don't despair. 
Don't you despair. I got an answer coming. I got a one-time answer coming. I got an eternal answer coming. The seed of the woman is going to crush his head one day. The seed of the woman is going to pay for sin. The seed of the woman, I got an answer. Don't despair. And all through the prophets and all through the Old Testament, God promised and prophesied that answer. And now this Christmas season, what do we do? We celebrate the birth of a Savior. We celebrate God himself. We celebrate the answer that he gave so that we can live victorious over sin.